It's a uh, chapter in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. In fact, the last 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah is one long poem. And now how can you tell if it's a poem? Now, if you got a, uh, a modern printing of a Bible, uh, even the King James, you'll see that uh, whenever uh, the, uh, it's a po- poem, it's a little bit different than the prose or the just regular writing. In fact, if you look in chapter 39, you'll notice just uh, the, uh, except uh, well, in chapter 39 is prose because it's just regular writing with uh, both the left hand and the right hand columns um, straight. But whenever it's poetry, you'll notice that uh, the, there's an indention for the second verse or the second line of that, uh, of that verse. And so, and you'll notice all the way through from chapters 40 through chapter 66 is one long messianic poem. Now, what's messianic mean? It's a psalm of the Messiah. And what, who is the Messiah? Messiah is Jewish. Christ is Greek. And so we're talking about the Christ. It is a Christ, it is a Christ, uh, what is it called? Christological psalm or a messianic psalm. And so we see that now uh, chapters 1 through 39 dealt with a lot of judgment that was going to come upon the nations and both of, to Israel. And we saw that how they were going to be judged both by Assyria and even by Babylon, that wasn't even a, a nation yet, or not even an empire yet. We see that how that even after that, the Babylon was going to be conquered. All these different things that we saw in chapters 1 through 39. And now in chapter 40 through 66, it's interesting how that uh, there's 39 uh, chapters of the Old Testament, or 39 books of the Old Testament, and 27 books of the New Testament. And here's, it's almost like that. I mean, the same type of uh, thing uh, with, uh, with, the, with uh, Isaiah. You have the law in chapters 1 through 39, and you have a picture of grace in chapters 40 through 67. Now, if you want to really break it down and to be able to read it better, then you'll notice also in the outline I gave you, actually, even you can break it down into nine different chapters. Uh, they in three different uh, three different uh, three different sections. Uh, first of all, in chapters forty through forty-eight, you have the supremacy of of Jehovah. Oh my! If you want to study and just see how much God emphasizes creation, then read those chapters. Dozens of times, Paul that we see that Isaiah talks about, or the Lord talks about, I was the one who created the earth. I was the one who created you. It is I who holds things together. All these things. I formed you. I know you. Just folks, you can't escape the fact that God created us and not we ourselves. Now, the one reason we have evolution or people being taught today and how sad it was, talking to a little boy recently, and he thought I was weird because I believe that God created the earth because, you know, I don't believe that there was evolution. And he kind of looked at me because that's what he's being taught. But uh, folks, God tells me that he created the heavens and earth uh, and he created it in one word. Now there we can go. I better be careful because there's so much in this chapter that I can go off on rabbit trails. And so I'm going to try to give you a, a, uh, not a rabbit trail, actually. There's just so much to study that you can spend uh, several messages 
just on the verses in the chapter about things that relate to the other section of scripture. But um, we see then that God created us and uh, he really challenges the people in this. Now, the thing he tells us though, and it sets forth the chapter 40. Well, actually we say those, the first section is uh, chapters 40 through 48. Then he talks about that strange situation to Isaiah about the suffering servant of Jehovah. And that will be chapters 49 through 57. And that's the one section just, just through the rabbis and all the Old Testament people, even the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And John the Baptist didn't understand it. How that uh, you can have a conquering Messiah and a suffering Messiah. Remember John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets said, are you the Christ? Are you the, are you the Messiah? Or do we look for another? And the Lord says, don't worry, John, I'll take care of it. But you and I, the least in the kingdom of heaven, know more than John the Baptist knew about salvation because he did not understand Jesus Christ going to the cross. He knew that Christ was going to pay for his sins. And even Job, the first book of the Bible, probably written, said, I know my Redeemer lives, but he's out there. I can't figure him all out. Folks, we know more about uh, Jesus Christ and we know more about the Messiah than Isaiah and Jeremiah and Job and all the rest because he was revealed to us in the Gospels. And so we see that, the, the, and this is the chapter 40, he's going to start it off. Hey, listen, the Messiah's coming. Now, they didn't see the church, but they did see that Messiah's coming for Israel. And so we see chapters 40 through, uh, 49 through 57. And then we see the sovereignty of God in chapters 58 through 66, where he talks about uh, how that he's going to judge the world. If he's sovereign, can God tell us what's right or wrong? Well, no, let's get together as a church and we'll decide whether uh, sin is sin or if uh, what God says was a mistake. Are we not having that in denominations today? It seems like almost every week we're going to get together and we're going to vote on what God says are abominations. It doesn't matter. God says you can vote as long as you want to until you get it right. You know, uh, he doesn't care how much you vote. He doesn't care about your opinion. He's sovereign. And so now he does care about your opinion, but as far, it's like uh, you mamas or dads, whenever you had to speak that child, you know, and, uh, uh, you hurt my feelings. I don't care. I'm going to hurt something else. You know, <laughs> well, that's, you know, whatever your kids say, they hurt your feelings. Well, that's what God says here too. And you can hurt his feelings or you can be triggered about anything, but what God says is final. Now we want to be as loving, as kind as we can, but God says the certain things that we've got to judge and uh, we do have judgment zones and what God says is right. And when we do it wrong, then we're going to be judged by it. Uh, by what by the word of God and not by the vote of men. And so we see that uh, he's going to really bring that out in poetry in those last uh, chapters, last nine chapters of the book of Isaiah. So we notice now the, the uh, chapter 40 sets the tone for all the rest because he says something is coming. Now we've talked about all the judgment, but listen, there's coming a day, Israel, when all these trials are going to be over because he says, comfort ye, yes, comfort my people, says our God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. Now remember that in chapters 36 through 39, they had just overcome the destruction or the near destruction of Jerusalem and uh, how that uh, uh, Sennacherib had been defeated. 
And now he goes into, and, and remember, Sennacherib was an Assyrian, they, and that was a, an empire. And Babylon was coming along, and remember, if you go back and read Isaiah, uh, where uh, Hezekiah let uh, the ambassadors of Babylon in to look at all the treasures that Israel had, because they were just a little nobody tribe, just nothing out there. And Isaiah said, Hezekiah, your pride has gotten the most of you because these people are going to come and take these treasures from you. Now, wait a minute. You can imagine great elation because of the great blessings that God had done in delivering them from Sennacherib, but now all of a sudden another trial is coming. And yet, as we said, Isaiah is not looking at the world history as far as the media. He's looking far into the future. He says, there's coming a day, folks, when all this is going to be over. Folks, there's all kinds of things going on in the Middle East right now. You hear about there's still over 100 hostages and uh, you hear about ceasefires and you hear about uh, babies' heads being cut off and all the rest of that. But folks, there's coming a day when God's going to bring peace to Jerusalem. He's promised it, hasn't he? Now, two things here. Remember, if you ever read or hear anybody say, well, the second writer of Isaiah, or they call it Deutero-Isaiah, in other words, second Isaiah. In other words, this is a whole different book than the first Isaiah. Uh, you know that it's a liberal. Discount them. Don't even listen to anything else they say because they try to split up. Uh, the, the, the liberals are always trying to split up the Bible. They got about four or five different people that wrote uh, uh, Genesis, through, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And of course, uh, we know who wrote uh, Deuteronomy because we know who wrote the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible, because Jesus told us he did. He says, did not Moses say this? Isn't that good enough for me? I don't need anybody else to tell me about who wrote the Pentateuch because Jesus tells me that Moses said it. So that takes care of it all. But uh, so if you hear people talk trying to split up scripture, be very wary of them. And then the other is that now the other people are good people, but they're a little confused. And that is, if you read about, and they start injecting the church in the Old Testament. And they want to make the church and Israel alike. Folks, they are two distinct organisms. We are not Jews. We are not, there is what's called today, and uh, I don't want to hit on it too long, and they're going off on, you can notice how I'm going to try to give you a survey of this whole chapter to get you really digging deeper without, going off in too many different directions. But um, there's a debt today in some of the modern, uh, even conservative circles, called replacement theology. In other words, the church now is Israel. No, we are not Israel. God is still going to, prom- he's still got to fulfill the promises he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He hasn't done it yet. Uh, also, he's going to set up, and boy, we love to see what's happening you know, uh, one of our presidents just recently recognized Jerusalem as the capital of it. Boy, that's big over in Israel because, hey, listen, I mean, to us, you know, big deal. They changed from Tel Aviv, but to Israel, they realize what that means. The Messiah is coming and we're going to, and the, and the capital of the world is going to be Jerusalem. Now we miss that because Gentiles, we don't understand, but they still are looking forward to the Messiah coming. Unfortunately, they missed him the first time. Let's pray that they catch him the second time. Amen. And so we know that he's coming again. And so uh, when you hear about anything about the church being Israel or the church in the Old Testament, then just realize those people are confused. 
We are the church today. Jews are accepted. And of course, the Jew first and to the Gentile. We've, we've had Jews visit with us and I wish we had several Jews that were members. Don't you? I'd love to have some, a good biblical Jew that had grown up in Judaism and got saved to come and just help me understand a lot about the Jewish thought in the Old Testament. Wouldn't you? I mean, th- those are some of the richest uh, teachers that we have. Uh, some great ministries were started by Jews who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And, but the Jew and the Gentile and their organizations or their organisms are two different things. We are not Jerusalem and the Jew, Israel is not the church. Does that make sense? Can we go and start a church in Israel? Yes, <laughs> so, but it's two dis- distinct areas. And so if you keep those straight, then you won't get too confused as you read uh, the, these last chapters and realize that he is projecting into the future and he's thinking entirely of Israel and he knows nothing about the church. And so that'll help you when he says, comfort ye my people, says the Lord, speak comfort to Jerusalem. It's coming, peace is coming to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned for she has received from the Lord hand uh, double for all of her sins. And then later on, he says that uh, because of her sins, he's received of the Lord um, double blessings because just like Job, uh, what happened? He went through trials, but he was, he, was, he was blessed double from what God took away from him. So that's the idea here. And so God's going to bless them doubly as much as they had before. And so we see the, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight... <coughs> In the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and every hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the mountains, O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs with his arm and carry them into his bosom and gently lead them who are with young. Now, Father, we pray that you will bless the preaching, the reading and the preaching of this marvelous book. Oh, Father, open our eyes that we may behold great things out of your word this morning. Lord, give us a great joy of who you are and a great confidence in your strength and your power to guide every facet, every area of our lives. 
that we can have the joy of the Lord in our hearts and the hope of, of our salvation that we can show to a lost and dying world, that we could be with John the Baptist proclaiming to the world the great love and the good tidings that you have for those who believe. Bless your people this morning, Lord, as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the passage we read this morning, it just opens up the book. And he is telling us, we notice, first of all, that um, comfort, this is a message of comfort. This is a good message of hope. Folks, what are the three things that we have in our lives? What, what do we build this church on? The Bible tells us that uh, when, when Paul writes to the churches, he, uh, he, he either blesses them or he leaves out one that he's going to talk about when he talks to the Colossians or to the Ephesians or whatever. There's three, the Lord says there remains three things. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. These three. Now, if we don't have faith in a sovereign king, the Lord Jesus Christ, then we don't have a foundation, do we not? And as a result of that, I know that my God has said, he's coming again. That's my hope, isn't it? My hope is in the Lord, my expectation. I am persuaded that he's able to take care of me until he comes. That's my hope. We have something, folks, that the world doesn't have. Remember what Paul says, I would not have you, talking about people who have passed away, I would not have you to sorrow as those who have what? No hope. People who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ don't have anything to look forward to. In fact, they got a lot to dread because they're going to spend a crisis of eternity in hell. Think about it. No hope. The Lord is my shepherd. He is not. I shall not want. You do. Just go right on down there and put a negative or a not behind every one of those phrases. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. How can he? You won't let him. Just uh, everything about God is not for those who reject him. They have no hope. And so, of course, then as a result of that, because we have faith, because we have hope in the Savior, then what should the world see from us? The fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And so we see those are the building blocks of a church. That's the, the building blocks of Christianity. But he says, he says that this is the great hope that Israel has, is the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is, gives them hope. And we, our hope is in the Lord. And we, we're looking for him to come again. And so he says, their iniquity is pardoned. And there's coming a day when God's going to restore Israel. Now notice in verse, two, verse three, 700 years before time, he gives us the exact words that John the Baptist is going to say. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert and, so, and, and the highway of the Lord. And we see, if you look in chapters um, 1, verse 23, that's exactly what John the Baptist said. And he says, I am that voice crying in the wilderness. Now, he knew from his mother's womb that, now that's interesting. If you really want to get into uh, when does life start? And uh, people say, well, it start, does it start at conception? Well, the Bible tells us in Luke 1.15 that John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. Now, how can you be filled with the Spirit unless you're living already? And think about it. Whenever 
uh, his mother, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, was six months along. Then Mary comes along, and she's carrying a little embryo. And oh, uh, John the Baptist kicks Elizabeth and says, that's him. And he's still in the womb. Now, does that tell us something about life before, before birth? So the Bible is very intrinsically uh, teaches uh, I don't want to call it pro-life. He just teaches life. Life begins at conception. Now we can, oh boy, I just caused a political firestone storm if I was a Christian. In fact, there's a, a Christian congressman that said this past week, and boy, they're coming down on him as if, uh, you know, he's going to start, uh, you know, World War III in America by bringing us back to the Bible. Isn't that horrible? Isn't that horrible that we might get back to studying the Word of God again? We might, you know, just tell people that abortion is wrong. Boy, won't that be horrible? It'd be horrible if we tell people that transgender is not a right, it's a perversion. So, I mean, it, so there again, you get into all this. So you notice, hey, listen, God is the one who sets it for this. I am the one crying, make straight the way. Now, what he's saying here, he's giving, again, in flowery poetic terms, get your heart right. Now, that's what John the Baptist did. He came along and said, the axe is at the tree. Cut it down. Repent. And then he said, what do we repent of? He says, because some of, you know, he that steals, still no more. And, and all these different things he tells them to do. He says, you're not right with God. Wait a minute. We're the Jew. And we're looking for the Messiah. And he's going to come. He says, no, you need to get your heart right first. So you take care of the potholes in your life. You take care of those bumps and those hills. Get ready for the king to come marching into your life. Folks, isn't that what uh, salvation is all a part of? It's when we say, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Whenever we prepare for the Lord's table this morning, do we not want to get our hearts right so that God can bless us? We want to take care of the potholes. We want to take, uh, we want to take care of the crooked places in our lives. Some of us have potholes. Some of us have crooked places. Some of us have bumps. But all of us have sin that needs to be taken care of. So let's, even as we prepare for the Lord's table, let's ask God, Lord, show me where the potholes are. I'm willing to fill them in or I'll let you fill them in. And so that's the whole idea. Prepare the way of the Lord. Folks, uh, when God comes, he doesn't come until we're prepared for him. So let's prepare. And the preparation is actually saying, uh, Lord, you take care of my life. There's no salvation without repentance. And there's no sanctification without surrender to the Lord. And so we see that uh, he says, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Why? Whenever we get things right or whenever we prepare the way. In verse five, and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now that's the one key thing he's gonna, I'm speaking now and you better listen for the next 26 chapters. He says, and then the one crying in the wilderness knows the voices here. Uh, John the Baptist says, uh, why shall I cry? And uh, <laughs> it's interesting. He hasn't been born yet, and God's already talking about what he's going to say. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, is, that, is that prophecy? Is that prophecy? And like, just like Babylon wasn't even a city, or wasn't even a, a city or a, a country yet. And yet God said, they're going to conquer you. 700 years before the time of Christ, we see all this happening. The voice says, cry out. 
And here's the, what does the church do? Where to cry out? What is the message? He says, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass and all the loveliness is like the flower of the field and the grass withers and the flower, but the, the breath of the Lord goes and it's over with. I was talking to my brother, my uh, son-in-law, and he says, you know, we call that in the, uh, we call that in the Marine Corps vaporized. In other words, a person is there and the next moment they're not. In other words, that's what unfortunately warfare can do. But all flesh is like a, and you're gone. And folks, uh, I was talking to, um, you know, the older I get, the more I look back on life and it seems like yesterday. And yet I can't remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> we have all those problems. Uh, so there again is, uh, hey, it's, it's over with so fast. And so we see, he says, all flesh is like that. Surely the people are grass. We're grass. Nothing. A lot of that grass comes up in June, and by the late July, it's already brown, isn't it? And he says, we're like that. But the word of God, notice he's going, this is, hey folks, the word of God is going to last no matter what the liberals try to do to it. The word of God is going to last forever. And you can talk about it, you can argue about it, you can say it's old-fashioned all you want to, but God never changes. And so he, this is the one thing, he knows the keyboard, he's going to, this is what he's going to say this, and he's setting it up. And then you can surely know it's going to happen because he said it's going to happen. Later on, uh, of course, you know that uh, you hear um, Dominic, and I hope maybe he's listening down in Florida this morning, but, uh, you know, he always likes to talk about Cyrus. Well, Cyrus is one of his favorite. Well, well uh, Isaiah later on, we'll see, uh, names him before Cyrus, even his granddaddy was born. So it's just amazing. And it names him uh, as the person who's going to let Israel come back into the promised land. They haven't even gone into captivity yet. So this is stuff that is talking in the future that Isaiah is giving. He's giving prehistory. But we notice that, uh, but the one thing about it, history doesn't, or uh, prophecy doesn't change. And that is the word of God is going to last forever. If God says it, then there's no voting on it. It's there. It's so, old Zion, and here it is. You who bring good tidings, that is the gospel. So whenever we talk about you, uh, evangelism or the gospel, we're talking about the good news, good tidings. And actually the word uh, that we get for, um, for proclaiming is the word that we get the word evangelical from. So we're to shout, we're to evangelize, we are to preach the good news. And this is what John the Baptist was doing, and of course what we were doing. He says, get up into the mountain, go tell it on the mountain, we sang this morning. O, uh, o Jerusalem, and who, he who brings good things, let us lift up your voice with strength. That's why we sing, lift up and be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Say to the cities of America, behold your God. Folks, God never changes. You can vote, you can riot, you can do whatever, but God is still on the throne. You can destroy my body, but I'm not worried about that. I am a little bit, but you know, as far as the pain, but uh, I'm just natural. But uh, the Bible, Jesus says, don't worry about those who can destroy your body. Be, be very careful about those who can destroy both body and soul. 
And that's the Lord Jesus. And so my hope is in the Lord. I don't want to be, I don't want the Lord to, I don't want to be terrified of the Lord. I want to be, have the joy of the Lord. I don't want to be that person who one day the Lord looks down from his throne and says, depart from me for I never knew you. That will be terror, will it not, folks? But it will happen because God says it will to those who don't know him. So we see the good shepherd. And now notice uh, that he talks about this in verse 10 through 12. Behold, uh, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand. Notice he says in verse 11, he shall feed his flock, flock like a shepherd. What does the Lord call himself in John chapter 10, 11? I am the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And so he is the good shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them into his, to his bosom and gently lead them who are young. You, if you read Mary's Magnificat in chapter one of the book of Luke, she reflects, now she doesn't quote this exactly, but these thoughts are all through that psalm about how that God gives power to the weak and how that he lifts up one and casts down another. And here she is talking about a poor teenage girl saying, my, the heavy responsibility God's placed on me and yet the great blessings that God has given me. She was really thinking hard whenever she, when God helped her compose that psalm in her mind. But we see that uh, God says this. Now, he's going to give us a series of questions. And, and uh, in verses 20 through 27, actually all through the rest of the chapter. But uh, it, it reminds me much of the last chapters of Job, after Job has gone through all this trouble. And after he's been now for several weeks or months, maybe years, that he's been by the ash pit or ash heap. And uh, <clears throat> he is wondering what God is doing. And then when God comes to him, he never tells him why he went through the trials. But he asked Job over 50 questions and all of them deal with the creation. Where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I made the stars in the skies? Where were you when I made the dinosaurs? Where did, were you? And he just kept talking. And finally, Job was so overwhelmed by what he didn't know about God that he just fell down and worshiped the Lord and said, Lord, I don't know anything. I, and I submit myself to you. And so we see that he's trying to do this here. Come now, let us reason together now. Let me talk to you about some things. Who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who measured heaven with a span? A span is from your tip of your finger, uh, to tip of your little finger to your thumb. Who, who took and made the stars and made the heavens with his hand? Pretty big God, isn't he? He says, uh, who calculated the dust of the earth in measure? Uh, I can't even calculate the dust that's on my bookshelves. And who weighed the mountains? Anybody have a big enough skill to weigh a mountain? We have a pretty big God, don't we? Uh, the hills in the balance. So who is big enough to do that? Does anybody know how much uh, Mount Everest weighs? Nobody even talks about it. They, don't, they, couldn't even, they can't figure out how much a couple of rocks up there weigh. But he says, I know how much they weigh. Also in other places, he tells us he knows the hairs on our heads. And some of you are more blessed than I am. But notice verse 13, he says, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or has been his counselor. 
with whom did he take counsel? Who was it that got, told him that man is man and, and woman is woman and how that uh, he created all these things and how that, uh, that and in him all things consist and that uh, who was it that told him how to make it all and how, to, how that it was to function? Was there anybody? Did the American Psychological Association get together with God and say, hey, listen, God, this is the way that we do things around here because this is what, because we're smart? We're going to vote, Lord, on things that we know that you say are, that are just old-fashioned, and we're going to declare that you're old-fashioned and that we know what's best. The Bible tells us in uh, Psalm chapter 2, he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. I think the Lord is looking down on a lot of the things that we're doing in our education system and our medical associations, everything today. And I think, you know, have you ever looked at people and you laugh, but you go, and you laugh in pity, realizing just how dumb they are? What do they call it, cringeworthy? I think the Lord sees a lot of cringeworthy things on earth today. And so he says, who did all this? Who, who do I take counsel from? Do I get with, uh, you know, the, the I, I, need a, I need a shrink. I need somebody that, well, well, I'm so mixed up. I got this world so confused and I got the stars and all that. And, and it's so hard to keep them all together. It's like herding cats. I don't know what to do. You think God's doing that? Not at all. Who tells, tells who t- shows him and that he's wrong? No one. And so knows he's, Asking these questions like he asked Job. Not to hurt, but to humble. I like this. This one verse that uh, there's so many things in, the, uh, in these last chapters that we use in our common vernacular today. Have you ever heard a drop in a bucket? It's nothing like a drop in a bucket. Well, that comes from the book of Isaiah. Notice in verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. You mean Russia is like a drop in a bucket? A bucket? You mean China's like a drop in a bucket to the Lord? Yeah. I mean, if he can make Jupiter, which is a big, but the, well, boy, we can get into astronomy and just realize just how big it is. Who was it, Kepler or one of the, he, they had to make a whole new math because uh, they didn't have math that can, had the concept of how big the earth was or how big space was or the heavens. And so we see that, uh, all the nations are like a drop in the bucket and are counted as small as the dust on the scales. Boy, that's pretty small. But whenever you got the Lord way out there in outer space and he's looking down on us, what is man? You know, what, what are we today? I mean, if God who made the Milky Way, which we understand will, even if you could travel at the speed of light, would take, thousands if not millions of years to get across. How does he know about the speck of dust on your collar today? I mean, we have a God who's big, but he is also very smart. Amen? Who is it that does all this? He says, he lifts up the eyes of the isles of the sea. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. He goes on and talks about that. Notice he says, and they are, in verse 17, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. The only reason they're worthless, worth anything, and the only reason we're worth anything is because God gives us worth. 
But he tells us that uh, man's thoughts without him are vanity, which is total emptiness, space, or as we would call a vacuum. And so he says, and notice the next question he asks in verse 18, to whom will you liken God? Is there anybody like him? Or the likeness, and he goes into the silversmiths makes all these things, and of course that was the problem that Israel was having. And he says, whenever you make an idol, you bring God down to your imaginations. But God is bigger than your imagination. So you can't make him into a concept. You can't make him into some little dumb idol that you made with your hands because I made the very material that made that idol. So how can you worship me with things that I made? You bring me down to your concept of who I am. Folks, I'm bigger than you are and I'm smarter than you are and that might hurt your feelings, but that's just the way it is. Is that true? Do we serve a God that's bigger than we are? Do we serve a God that uh, we can reason with him, but he's always right? Or do we get together and vote on, well, this is what, oh, that's old-fashioned. Man, that's what they say in the past. God's word lasts forever. And so this is what Isaiah is getting into. So he asks all these questions. He says, uh, notice in the next question in verse 21. He says, uh, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Beginning of what? The beginning of time. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth. He says, have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Is it, uh, is it he who sits on uh, the circle of the earth? There again, Isaiah knew 700 years before the time of Christ that the earth was round. Boy, isn't it interesting it took, took him to 1492 to figure that out? He says, and then the inhabitants uh, are like grasshoppers, and he goes on and talks about it. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain? Who doesn't? Who, who puts that great expanse out there that we look at every night? Who did that? Did you? Can you change anything about it? Who did it? Did God do it or did it just evolve from some big explosion? And let me ask you this. If, we, if it was all this chemical reaction that caused all these explosions, what created thought? Is thought chemical reactions? How can we even have thoughts unless somebody created them? Did he not breathe into you a living soul? What's a soul? And where did it come from? Tell me. If God didn't create it, how can you even think? Tell me how you got your mind. I could tell you how some people lost their minds, but I can't tell you how they ever gained it. Amen? And so how did God do all this? And it knows he's, uh, come on, let's reason together, folks. Let's talk about who God is. Is he who sa he sa we say he is, or is he some figment of our imaginations? He goes on in verse 24, scarcely they have planted. And he goes into that passage there about, uh, you know, uh, the only reason you have anything to eat is because he allows it. So who created that? Uh, uh, why, do, why can we eat uh, the corn of the field? Why do we have all these fields around us? And, who, and by the way, how did they evolve? And why do we have grain? And how did man know how to pick it in the first place? And to eat it. How, who taught him all that? 
or was he created? How, how did the, you know, how did the ant learn how to build an anthill? How did the birds learn to fly? One of the great things I like to watch in the springtime is when those thousands of birds will just go up into the air and then they change directions just automatically. Who taught them how to do all that? It takes years for a pilot to learn how to fly in formation. And yet birds can do it from birth. Who taught them how to do all that? Evolved. It had to evolve. Tell me how it evolved. Science tells me how it happened. But you can't tell me how it happens. So it's not science. It is a philosophy. It is a theory. But you're teaching it as fact. And if you could teach that as fact, then you could also teach unreality that men can have babies as fact. And then you will tell me, I will believe it. Is that where we are today? Exactly. And so man is now trying to reinforce the rebellion against God. And our own government is doing that. These things are becoming rights. It's a right to be perverse. It's a right for me to tell you that your child can become a girl and that you don't have a chance to say anything about it. That's scary, isn't it? When man becomes God. So, hey, folks, who, tell, who, 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 who did all this? It is he that made us, not we ourselves. So notice, have you not done? This is just natural stuff. So he's, first of the question is, what do you know? He's going to say this again. But this is, the heavens declare the glory of God. And anybody who really studies realizes there's something bigger than themselves out there. That's what he's saying. He's going to ask a question again. To whom will you liken me? Again, in verse 25. And to whom will I be equal? Says the Holy One, lift up your eyes on high. Get your eyes off yourself. And see who has created these things. Think about it. Who created this? This is a direct challenge to any evolutionist. Who did it? And if you can't explain it, then you better start thinking about some of your theories. Because there's a God in heaven who's watching what you're doing. He says, who brings, uh, uh, who brings out their host without number? We look up in the stars, and, we, and every time they get a new telescope, they say there's more out there. God not only has them numbered, but he has them by name. Pretty big God, isn't it? And yet we're just still discovering the things that he made. Tell me. Tell me how it came about. Tell me why we're here. We need to really challenge those who think there's no God and we just were a mistake by the lake. No, God has a purpose. God did these things. And this is Paul, or excuse me, <laughs> Isaiah is setting this forth. He says, uh, he calls him by name, by greatness of his might. He's a strong, smart God. The strength of his power. No, notice not one is missing. They tell us that if uh, one of the stars in the solar or in the uh, planets in the solar system or stars within the Milky Way got out of place and they started banging up against each other, it caused chaos. Who keeps it together? You know, we are hearing today. Uh, all of a sudden, we're going to be hit by an asteroid. Why have we been hit by an asteroid before? Global warming. God says, "No, I put plan on to, to populate the Earth," and yet there are people saying we need to kill everybody on Earth. Except for, except for us elites, of course. And folks, we're going crazy, aren't we? 
And we're letting people lead us into craziness. Who did all this? Let me ask you, who did it? Either God did it or we're lost. We're a mess. And he says, uh, why do you say now, no? So he's talking to the old Jacob. He's talking to, his, talking to people who should know him. Why do you say, speak, O Israel? Uh, my way is hidden from the Lord. Why do you think that you can hide from God? Why do you think that uh, he doesn't see? He says, uh, and my just claim is passed over my God. In other words, <clears throat> God is just. God has a claim on your life. And why do I think that I don't owe him something? If God created me, then the best thing I could do is say, Lord, why'd you create me? Amen? There's a purpose under heaven that God has for each one of us. A time and purpose under heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He says, have you not known? There's that question again, talking to these backslidden, backslidden Israelites. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Oh my, you look at those prayers of Hannah, you look at the, of Mary, oh boy, that echoes all the way through. And so, so much of, of, uh, the, the, uh, of the book of Luke owes its thought concepts to chapter 40 of Isaiah. He says, even the youths shall faint and not be weary. And then be weary. So even, he's talking about, now he's talking about a, a, an omnipotent God with all power. But then he's talking about us he-men who think that we're pretty strong. But he says, even us get a little weak. One of the things I've learned in uh, watching sports is no matter how good they are, they start fading. Good old Tom Brady, the goat, the best of them all. He's too old to play anymore. Is <laughs> you know, Mohammed Ali, float like a butterfly and sting like a bee until somebody knocked him half crazy because he lost it. And folks, I'm a little bit older now than I was a couple of years ago. And the older I get, the more I realize I'm losing some. None of you have that problem. Some of you, no, we all do. And yet he says, you know, there's coming a day that he says, but, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they who wait, that's a great word, wait. The word wait can mean having patience, and we are to wait on God and for his timing. But it also carries the idea of service. This past week I saw a young picture or a picture of a young uh, Queen Elizabeth. And it was a picture with her of about 10 or 12 women that they called ladies in waiting. What was a lady in waiting? Those were her servants. Those were the ladies who put on her gowns and buttoned up her front. I don't know what they call the kings or whatever, uh, you know, you know how much, if you've been around me very long, you know that how much I just adore King Charles. I can't stand King Charles. 
I have to be careful with that if anybody from England or the English background, because whenever people cut down us, they cut down our flag. When you, if you talk to people from England and you cut down their crown, then you, you're, you're cutting down their country. So I have to be careful with this. So I'm not, I like his crown <laughs> and all that, but that turkey, no, I mean, but anyway, you know, he's got, I saw that where he has a special waiter who comes in and puts his toothpaste on his toothbrush. You know, I, I mean, leave me alone, get out of here. I'll take my bath by myself, you know. He's got, you know, he talks to trees. And I won't get it unless I say, he's enough for me. But, you know, he's got, that's the idea of waiting. I mean, just doing everything you can. Well, am I not to wait on my king? Am I not to be a man in waiting for my Lord? Am I not to be serving him? Oh, Lord, what do you want me to do? What can I do that you can do for yourself, but you want me to do it to show others? So they who wait both patiently as well as in service, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So as we wait on the Lord in his second coming, as we are actively serving him, you say, wait a minute now, they shall mount upon wings as eagles. First of all, we see that God tells us if we'll wait on him, he'll take us up and start showing us things as he sees them. We want to know the mind of God, don't we? Lord, show me your will. If I ask him to show me what I will, then he takes me up from the battlefield and puts me up on an observation post and says, see this, oh, that's what's happening. This guy's over here and this guy's over here. I didn't see all that. But now I see it because I've got a vantage point from the eagle. Isn't that what we want to see? I love those pictures of uh, the Apollo. Remember the Apollo and they were running, going around the... Um, the moon and the, the one astronaut was reading Bible verses. Boy, that just caused all kind of conniptions with some people. But uh, I loved it. But he was looking at the earth and I was looking and I said, we're down there, we're nothing. You know, we hear about all the wars and all we see is a little blue dot out there or you know, something and you can't see. And God's up there, he's, he's out there in the Milky Way. And uh, of course, we, don't, we can't even see the speck. And so if God can, can create the Milky Way, can he not take me up just a little bit in the air and show me just a few things of his ways if I'll wait on him? And I, he's done that. And I could look back on my life so many times and I could say, oh my, I didn't see it the way God saw it. And oh my, I'm so glad he didn't give me what I wanted. And I'm so glad, and I didn't even realize that little, that little decision I made changed my whole life. But as you wait on the Lord, he starts showing you the path that you take. He knoweth the path that I take. And he shows it to us if we wait on him. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. But then he says, you shall run and not be weary. Are we not to run the race with patience? the course that's been set before us. And so we run that race for the Lord. Now you say, wait a minute, uh, but I'm weary. Was Paul weary? We looked at that in Sunday school this morning. 
Yes, he was weary, and he was running the race even though he was stuck in an old stale jail. And was, his, was God using him in spite of the infirmities of the flesh? Why are we even talking about the Apostle Paul if he is still not running and not weary? Is his message still strong? We study the, we study the Word of God because of him. So, I imagine old Paul's up there in heaven saying, keep on running. Amen? I mean, he does the thing. Folks, I love it. And one of the most satisfying things you can do is when you've done everything you can do and you know that you are in the will of God and you can say, Lord, I just have to leave it with you and watch what he does. And he can do so much more than I can. And what a blessing it is to see that he's never weary. He never slumbers or sleep. I go to sleep and he keeps on working. And I get up the next morning and he's still there. And so we see that he runs. But then we walk and we don't quit. What keeps you going? Why are you here this morning? I mean, you realize that 90% of Belvedere is not even in the church this morning. Why are you here? Why do you want to serve God? Because he's in your heart and you can't quit. How many times in the ministry I've wanted to quit, but God wouldn't let me. But then you, get, well, but then you look at it, it, that seems different. Don't we supposed to, supposed to start walking before we start running? And aren't we, to, aren't we to run before we to fly? No, with God it's just the opposite. When you get with God, then all of a sudden things on earth start becoming strangely dim. You start seeing things the way he sees it, and you realize it's not his power that runs things. No, excuse me, it's not your power, but it's his power. And you realize that the only reason that you're doing the things you're doing is because the Holy Spirit's within you, and it's just a lifestyle. And you didn't even realize that God's working, and you're walking, and you can't quit because he won't let you. Isn't God good? Who did all this? Who saved you? Who allowed you? Who even knew your name before your parents even came together. Does he not have a purpose for you? Doesn't matter what background you're from. I talked about creation one time and said that every person born on earth has a purpose. And I had a little lady walk up to me and she said, I'm so glad you talked about that with my grandson because we adopted his mother and she uh, really had some problems. And she never really caught into us, and sometimes that happens with adoptions. And her mother, his mother left when she was a teenager. The only reason she came back home was to have, to have him and leave again. And he's never known his mother or his father. But for him to know that there's a purpose under heaven and that God can, that God can use him. I'm so glad you preached that. Well, folks... I'm so glad that God knows each one of our problems. I'm so glad that there's not a person here that doesn't have hope that the God of heaven can take you and make you a trophy of his grace as you would turn to him. You take care of the potholes. You, you say, Lord, just as I am without one, please come in with your road grader and clean me up. And Lord, I want to live for you. I hath not seen nor ear heard what God has for those who love him. And that's what God wants to show us. Take us up on his wings 
and show us his marvelous blessings to those who believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. May we understand just a little bit better just who you are, your great power, your great omniscience in your wisdom. How that you know all things and you can do all things and we're nothing except a speck of dust in your hand. But oh, what you can do with a speck of dust who loves you. Lord, show us that great strength. Help us to see things the way you see them. May we soar to the heights of the Spirit of God in our lives, realizing that you have made us and not we ourselves. We see all the dangers. We see all the violence and the hatred in the world today. And yet, Lord, we know that you rule over it all, and there's a purpose. And that one day you're coming, and there will be peace on earth and goodwill toward men, because you've promised it, and we're looking forward to it. And we're looking forward to being part of that plan of the ages, Lord, as you would use us for your glory. Bless your people, and Lord, we pray that you would save others through your people, as we would seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen.